The sermon text is the gospel lesson for this day, and because it is the gospel lesson, as the church has done uh, for centuries and centuries, uh, you rise to listen to the gospel lesson. So please rise. Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. He said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the, weak, uh, the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven, for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of our Lord. Please be seated. Your friends in Christ, a former member of a church where I was the pastor once shared a story with me uh, that happened to them before I became their pastor that just basically showed how great and mysterious God can be. This couple had a son, and uh, I'll call him Mark, because that's what his name was. He, uh, he was a hyperactive kid. He was a little daredevil, that's what he was. And one day he was playing with fire somewhere, whether it was a candle or, or uh, something they didn't smoke or anything, but he got a hold of some kind of way there was some kind of fire that started. And in that fact, his shirt apparently caught on fire. And uh, he burnt his back rather severely. When mom and dad saw it, grabbed him, took him in the car, took him off to the hospital as quickly as they could. And sure enough, the doctor said that he's going to need uh, some help. He's going to need some skin grafts. And that's exactly what he ended up getting. Now, it wasn't long at all while he was in the hospital that the doctor said, all right, you can take him home. Take him home? Yeah, take him home. Already? Yeah. But then the doctor also said this. By the way, when you take him home, don't let him move for 10 days. Now, like I said, this is a little daredevil. And in fact, we have a little story about him, and my wife and I. Uh, he took down our Christmas tree from below as he slid under it one time. And that was a couple years later. 
take him home? The mother was actually a registered nurse, and she said, can't we keep him in the hospital? How about drugging him for 10 days so he doesn't move? No, you can take him home. He's, uh, he's in your hands. You're a nurse. You know how to take care of him. You can do a better job than we could. Even they didn't want them. <laughs> well, guess what happened? Mark ended up getting a fever. And immediately, the nurse mom said and thought, it must be one of the skin grafts or the skin grafts have developed an infection. So they took him quickly to the doctor. The doctor did all kinds of tests on him. He didn't have any kind of infection on his skin grafts. You know what it was? He got the flu. And guess how long it lasted? Ten days, and he didn't want to move. Look what God can do. Because <laughs> they are really spiritual people. Look what God did for them. God does things that we can't even imagine. And perhaps you have your own stories about that. Yes, God does things a lot of times upside down. When you think of the nation of Israel, challenged by a gigantic man, right, who said a one-on-one -on -one match between him and me will, de will determine Whose kingdom will serve whose kingdom? Israel didn't have a man that stood up and said, no, you can't do that. Not to this giant. So what happened? A young man, a little boy, I should say, couldn't even carry armor because he was so small and weak. All he had was a slingshot, and God saved the nation. Upside down. Or how about how God saves us? Who would have known that God himself would have come down in the person of Jesus? And that Jesus took our place, became obedient unto death, even death on the cross, humbled himself to save us from our sins. God does things upside down. And today we hear about that also in our sermon text. These words from Matthew chapter 5 that begin the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to consider a couple things. Number one, we're going to consider this. world looks us at us upside down in the way we stand before God, or even as we stand in this, in this life. And then also, uh, the world looks at us so much differently than God does when it comes to the things that we do. And I pray that I'm going to be able to share that with you and explain that to you. Now again, in the season of Epiphany, we hear about how God, how Jesus showed himself to be the Savior who was certainly qualified to be the Savior of all. He showed himself to be our God, who was able to, uh, to, to, to give a, a price that was, that was precious enough, his own life and blood, to win for us salvation. And that's what Epiphany does. It shows us that over and over and over again. We see a lot of readings and have a lot of readings that talk about the miracles that he did. But this reading talks about some of the teachings that taught. And this is the greatest of all. 
the Sermon on the Mount. And it begins with what we often call the Beatitudes, the blessings. And here's where Jesus begins his sermon, or this text says, Now when Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him and he began to teach them. Now remember, Jesus was perfect in everything that he did. He was the perfect teacher. And he was using methods that I think are kind of interesting that we even use to this day when we want to teach. And what he used here was a paradox. Now I know some jokes about paradox, okay? Let's forget that. All right? What's a paradox? Well, a statement that seems to contradict itself. What does that mean? I think here's where, if you have an example, it probably helps. Someone would probably use this as an example because it's often used when someone says, what's a paradox? It says, the more you try to impress people, the less likely they will be impressed. How true that is, right? I like someone who's a show-off, trying to impress them, right? So the person who tries to impress people Well, that's the person who will not probably impress people. But Jesus uses a paradox here too. He uses them all through here. He says here, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those, are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now that is a contradiction, isn't it? Seems the opposite, right? The poor in spirit? Blessed are they. You know what the word blessed means, right? You could substitute the word happy. Happy are those who are poor in spirit. Happy are those who are poor in spirit, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. How is that possible? I mean, when we think about uh, the people who who own the world, (laughs) they're anything but poor in spirit, at least in their own eyes. right? They're the confident. They're the self-assured. They're the ones who are going to get it done. They know where they're going and they're going to get there. Doesn't sound like the poor in spirit at all, does it? But the Lord says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There's a valuable lesson to be learned here. Who are the poor in spirit? But those who confess their sins. And ultimately understand, because of our sins, where we stand before God. Someone like King David, the greatest man that lived on his earth at the time in which he lived, said about himself, I know my transgression and my sin is always before me. The Apostle Paul, dare I say, the greatest apostle that ever lived, what did he say about himself? He said, I am the chief of sinners. So how in the world... Can someone be blessed when he's riding a guilt trip? When he's feeling guilty? When he understands his sin? It was simply said like this. Penitent person, the one who acknowledges that he's poor in spirit, the one who acknowledges that he's sinful, the one who acknowledges that he stands as nothing before God, is the one who is ready for the Lord. 
He's the one that understands that he needs to rely on the one that can be relied on, Jesus Christ. The sinner. Where do we go? Not to ourselves. Not to anybody else but Jesus, who forgives us fully and freely. One of my favorite passages in the Bible is this one. Whenever our hearts condemn us, God is greater than our hearts because he knows all things. Whenever our hearts condemn us, whenever our hearts condemn us, you know, when we're running around with guilt on our hearts because of the sins that we've done, either against God, uh, well, they're all against God, but against our spouse, against our family, whatever uh, that we have done, whenever our hearts condemn us, that's when God says, but God is greater than your hearts. His love, His mercy, His grace trumps them all. No matter what we've done, no matter how many times we've done it, forgiveness is ours. So blessed are they who are poor in spirit because they're ready for Jesus. How about the next one? Blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. Another paradox. <laughs> I mean, if you ask this question, what word would be the opposite of mourn? Maybe some of you would say, to be unhappy. So put this again in that phrase. If just, you know, blessed, happy are those who are unhappy. <laughs> what does that mean? What does that mean? Again, understand, understand when you talk about mourning, what he's talking about here is mourning over sin. My favorite illustration, because I think it says it all, and I don't know, maybe a couple weeks I even use this, where a uh, college student came home, a co-ed came home from college, and uh, she was having a hard time living a Christian life on campus. And she went to her pastor, and she went in uh, to his office and then just poured her heart out. She started to say to the pastor, you know, my friends, the people that I'm around, they can go out all night, they can party, they can, and they come back and they don't feel anything. If I did that, I would toss and turn in bed. I would not get any sleep because my conscience were bothering me. Blessed are those who mourn, the pastor said. Blessed are those who mourn? Yeah. Put a thousand pound weight on a dead body. The dead body feels nothing. Put a thousand pound weight on someone who's alive. And you'll hear all kinds of screaming and yelling. Rejoice that you're alive. Rejoice that you know your sins. Rejoice and know that you know your Savior. Blessed are those who mourn. For they will be comforted. Jesus continues. Blessed are the meek. For they will inherit the earth. This too seems to be upside down. The meek? Blessed are the meek. Happy those uh, are the meek. <laughs> Again, isn't it blessed are those who are strong, who are confident, who are self-assured, 
who know where they're going and go out and get it? Isn't that what the world is all about? And yet, Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, or those, blessed are those, uh, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, sometimes people confuse meekness with weakness. Sometimes people say that being meek is like being a coward. And it's not. God called to be meek and humble. right? But he doesn't tell us to cower away when his name is being threatened or his name is being ridiculed or his name is being mocked or one of his children are being mocked or ridiculed. It's time to stand up for Jesus, right? It's time to stand up for the Lord. See, when he talks about meekness, its meaning is this. Understand how you stack up against God. We are nothing compared to Him. Almighty God is Almighty God. We are not. We are not. But the meek also understand, I need help, and God's there with it. Here it is. Forgiveness of sins in Christ. The world in which you live, not that important. Jesus said, turn the other cheek. Jesus said, give him your coat. Because the things of this world really aren't that important. The meek understand that God is most important. And that the treasures that he has for us in heaven, given to us in Christ, that's what's most important. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. He goes on, and he says these words. He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. When I was in the full-time ministry, I, 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 I served in three places. First place was in Lawrenceville, Georgia, uh, where we started a mission church. Then we went to Orlando, uh, just outside of Orlando, a city called Maitland. And then we moved back to uh, Atlanta and served in Johns Creek, Alpharetta, Georgia. And needless to say, just like Washington, D.C., Atlanta and Orlando had horrible traffic problems. And in fact, I'll take Washington, D.C. over Atlanta. I would like to have, I would always like to have a Bible class during the week. I'd usually call it something like this, digging deeper. It went into the scripture a little bit more uh, besides that which was on Sunday. And then usually had some Bible information classes or membership classes. I called them, uh, 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 well, so they're often called now starting point. Basic doctrines. Uh, it was always interesting because many of the people that would come to those classes, because the traffic was so bad, they'd come right to church and they wouldn't have any dinner. And I remember this one guy that I had, who's actually a, a, a criminal attorney, criminal lawyer. Um, and he came to our class, and he often came right from court. This guy was about six foot six, intimidating. But it was always funny in class, because he was hungry, and you could tell it. 
because every now and then you'd hear his stomach growl. And actually, when his stomach growled, sometimes it roared, and we laughed. Oh, you've experienced that, right? Perhaps even in church. Embarrassing, being uncomfortable. But you know, there's a, there's a kind of hunger and thirst that's good. And that's what he's talking about here. To hunger and thirst after righteousness. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. What righteousness? The righteousness of Jesus Christ. The righteousness that he lived because we didn't. The perfection that he lived because we were so far from it. And by faith, that righteousness becomes ours so that when God looks at us, what does he see? He sees perfect people because Jesus' life is credited to us. And then our sins were punished. That needed to be done. And Jesus was punished for all. That's the righteousness that he's talking about. And that's the righteousness that makes us happy. And that's the righteousness that we hunger and thirst for. The living bread and the living water. If you take a look at the things I've said so far, you see, we're on kind of the first side of that equation. Blessed are, right? And then God's on the second part, isn't he? And like I said, it really sounds upside down. Blessed are the those who mourn. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Blessed are those who are meek, right? But on the second part of each of those passages, it tells us about God and his relationship with us. Upside down as far as the world is concerned, but makes all the sense as far as God is concerned. The second passages here talk about, uh, talk about our actions. How the world would say, no, that's wrong. But God commends us. He says here, blessed are the merciful for, merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Having a sinful nature in us, like we do, you know, uh, <laughs> it's hard merciful the way God wants us to be merciful. How the sinful nature will end up doing is kind of switching around a little bit or we'll make a deal. I'll be merciful if you'll be merciful. I'll be merciful to you if you are merciful to me. See, that's not the mercy that he's talking about here. He's talking about total mercy. That it comes one way, like God did for us. The Bible says that God's mercies are new every morning. We could get up today and know that forgiveness of sins was ours. We didn't have to ask for it. It's already there. We stand in God's grace. That's what the Bible says in Romans. It's there. Free of charge. And that's how God wants us to also practice mercy. The Bible says, one of my favorite passages, forgive one another even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Forgive one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Just forgive. Be merciful. Practice it. And blessed are those who are merciful for their own mercy. And think about this. 
if we practice that kind of mercy, what a different world, what a different uh, nation our nation would be. What a different home many homes would be. What a different people we would be if we practice unconditional mercy. He goes on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now none of us, when we look into our hearts, see uh, ourselves as moral uh, straight shooters. All of us have sinned again and again and again. But as children of God, again, God has forgiven all of that. And that changes us. And how does it change us? Because we want to, we aspire to do what God wants. We want to be pure in heart. Now, before God, we are because of Christ. But it changes us inside to also desire that, to be pure, to do the things that God wants us to do, to treat people the way, the way God would want us to treat, to love, to love, to love, to love. No matter who that person may be. We've been cleansed in the blood of the Lamb. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, Jesus told us, Jesus told us that, uh, that there are going to be wars and rumors of wars till the end of time. Jesus also told us that families aren't always going to get along. There are going to be families that, uh, where the parents don't particularly like the children, the children don't like the parents. There are all kinds of practices of hatred and, and all for neighbors. And, and, and look how many times friendships are broken. Now again, we're the people of God. What does God want us to do? Be a peacemaker. When it comes to the family, dad, spouse, wife, be peacemakers. Love each other. Dad, mom, children, be a peacemaker. Children to parents, be peacemakers. In your neighborhood, argument, be a peacemaker. And you know what? The best kind of peace that we can share and be a peacemaker about? The peace of God that surpasses all understanding in Christ Jesus. Be a peacemaker. And then he says this, and these are words of conclusion. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are the, you, when you when people insult you, perse, uh, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Jesus is speaking here about the persecution that takes place and that we ought to expect. He said that the world hates him, so he's gonna, the world's going to hate all of his followers and how true that is. Back in the early Christian church, that was shown in a very, very, very uh, expressive way. When you think about uh, uh, Sunday afternoon, they didn't, it, when the Packers playing the Lions, it was the Christians versus the Lions. They filled up all kinds of arenas and were entertained when the Lions would go out and tear limb. the Christians, people who loved Jesus, and they would cheer the Lions. And you know, people still do that today. Cheer for the Lions. Now we don't have that anymore. But we still have people certainly are not for Jesus, but against Jesus. And not for his people, but against his people. Many of them are located in Hollywood. 
the trash they put out on TV, the movies, etc. Kind of things that uh, are said in the world about Christian people. And you've, you've experienced that self yourself. In fact, he says, be happy about that. You can be happy about that because apparently faith is showing. Your faith is showing. You are blessed. So, we begin the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached by the greatest preacher that ever preached, Jesus. But you know, a sermon is only good not only to hear, but if it's put into practice. And today I say to you, let our prayer be this, that we practice what Jesus preached. Amen. Please rise. And now may the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen.